Do you know what happened in December of 1903? First airplane. The Wright brothers had their first successful mechanized flight. You know what happened in 1902? They crashed. This is true. Okay? Now, they crashed in 1902. They crashed in 1901. They crashed in 1900. But there's no tourist markers where they crashed. You don't get off a tour bus in North Carolina and the tour guys say, oh, here to your left is where the Wright brothers bought it the first time that they tried to fly. Mm -mm. Only thing we celebrate is, is the success. You forget how many times they put something down on paper and then realized it didn't work or how many times they did a little model of something that they thought was a good idea and realized it wouldn't fly. Or how many times they actually went out to the beaches of Kitty Hawk or to their workshop in Ohio and actually tried and it crashed and somebody said, well, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Anytime you see success, you're looking at the result of a lot of failure. Do you know that? Anytime you see success, you're looking at the result of a lot of failure. Anytime you see a successful organization, you're looking at the result of a lot of failure. Anytime you see a successful person, you're looking at the result of a lot of failure. Anytime you see a saint, you're looking at the result of a lot of failure. So John reminds the early church in the second chapter of his first letter. Stand with me in honor of God's word. My little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together. A long time ago in a city halfway around the world, a pastor sat down and tried to write words to encourage his church. And he wrote 1 John. Now all of these years later, that letter now comes into our hands, much the same situation. Christians trying to figure out what it means to follow Christ. Christians trying to live in a hostile environment. So we pray the lessons that John tried to get to his church will be the lessons now that you try to get to your church in this place. And we pray we'll be good disciples and good students. And we pray this in your name. Amen. <clears throat> Going to take me a little while to be able to take roll because all of you are now sitting in different places be interesting over the next couple of weeks as you kind of do the Goldilocks thing. This is too close. This is too far back. It's too far left. Do you kind of find, oh, just the right place. And then by the time you get comfortable, we'll be moving back. 
and we'll scramble your eggs all over again. Now remember, John was writing, had already written his gospel. This is who Jesus was. This is what he taught. This is his life. This is his death. This is the resurrection. And now he's writing a letter to those believers in Ephesus. This is what it means now to follow Christ. This is how you do it. He by now was the bishop of Ephesus, responsible for a lot of pastors, a lot of different churches, a lot of different people. Now remember, everybody in those churches was first-generation believers. Okay, the faith was almost brand new. They didn't have anybody who had passed down the faith. Everybody was the first Christian in their family. Everybody was the first Christian of their neighborhood, on their street. Everybody was the first Christian. So John is writing a letter to encourage them to say, hey, this is what it means to follow Christ in a real life setting. This is what it means to love each other. And so he starts chapter two, reminding them, I'm writing this letter to you so that you will not sin. And if you like me, when you, wrote, when you heard that sentence, you went, well, too late. I should have read this book earlier. Maybe it would have helped me. But since I have already sinned, I probably don't need to read the rest of the chapter. Don't need to read the rest of the book. This is a good place for me just to give up. Now, let's hold it before we do that. Okay, now, if you grew up in Southern Baptist Church like I did, and every Sunday you were held over hell like a marshmallow, <clears throat> and you learned a lot about sin, we, we talked a lot about sin. Don't do this because it's sin. Don't go there because it's sinful. Don't do that. And we talked more about sin than we did Jesus. So we were well aware of our sin. We were always aware of our sin. Now, let me tell you what, what the Bible talks about when it says sin. The word is an archery term. It means to miss the bullseye. Okay? Now, I, I don't know if you have ever tried to, to use a real bow. Okay. Now I'm not talking about what your, what your family brought you back from the Smokies. That's not what I'm talking about. Okay. I'm talking about an actual bow. One, it takes a lot of strength to pull that bow, to pull that string and load that arrow. The first time you let go of that arrow, you don't hit the target. You don't hit the hay bale that the target's on. In fact, you thank God you didn't kill somebody behind you. Okay, that's what it takes to learn to do the archery. You miss, you miss the target. And every day that you practice, you get a little better. Finally, you start being able to shoot the arrow straight. Finally, you hit the hay bale. Finally, you hit the target. And at long last, you start getting near the bullseye. All of those other misses, that's what the Bible means when it says sin. The mark for us is not church expectations. It's not family expectations. It's not cultural expectations. The mark for us is the person of Jesus Christ. In worship and in discipleship, we hold the person and the image of Jesus Christ in our heart and in our head, and everything we do is toward that image. The way that we fall short, and when we fall short, that sin, when we miss the target, that sin. Now listen, Everything that goes wrong in life is not sin. Sometimes it's just a mistake. Okay? You go into the store. You're supposed to turn right to the ghost store. You turn left. That's not sin. 
that's not something Jesus is going to bring up. I saw you go in the store, you turn left. Okay, that's not going to come. Now, your reaction to that mistake. Now, that may be sin. But the simple fact that you made a mistake is not sin. You made a mistake. Sometimes you, you make a mistake because you don't know. Okay, you had to learn how to add. You had to learn how to subtract. And that meant lots of mistakes. All of those wrong answers on your math test weren't sin. I know your mother made you feel like that. But it wasn't sin. It's a mistake. You know how you learn to walk? You increase the length of time between falling. That's how you learn to walk. A lot of us have scars on our chins, foreheads, where we hit the coffee table, where we were learning how to walk. Every time you fail, it wasn't sin. It was learning. Okay, what we're talking about are those actions where you're not living in alignment and obedience to the Lord's teaching. What we're talking about, what the Bible talks about a lot is sin with a capital S, the powers of darkness that hold us captive, uh, that hold us addicted to make us unable to follow, unwilling to follow, okay? Now, some sin we learn because we, we, we are growing in Christ and we learn that there are certain things that Christ expects of us. We didn't know that. Now we are aligning our life to this new teaching that we understand. That's growing. Some of us, have a sin that we treasure, okay? You hold it in your heart like a trophy. It's just your sin. It's just your private sin. doesn't hurt anybody else. And so you show up at church a couple of times and you apologize. You don't repent. You know the difference? Bible never calls for us to apologize, some of us come so that, and say we're sorry so that we will feel better in the moment. We don't want to deal with the sin. So we'll come, we'll say, Jesus, I'm sorry. We have no intention of changing. Repentance is where you realize what's going on in your life. You stop doing it. You turn your back to it and begin to live and walk a different way. Apology is part of it, but it is only part of it the repentance is what Jesus is looking for, where you turn away from it and move in a different direction. Now, I want to stop right now and talk to two people. No, I'm not going to call you out by name. Okay, don't worry about it. I want to talk to the perfectionist among us. Okay? Those who think they were born to do it all right. Who think their self-worth is dependent on getting everything just right. And you somehow got the message that you can live the life of a disciple all by yourself. So you come to church on Sunday, you hear the teaching, and you hear what Jesus wants to do in your life. You leave that teaching in Sunday, and you go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, working just as hard as you know how to work. You make unreasonable demands of yourself. You make unreasonable demands of everybody else because you know what the standard is and you're going to meet the standard if you have to kill everybody around you. Okay? Don't you know that the teaching of Jesus 
always starts at the exhaustion of yourself. When you finally figure out, I can't do this in my own strength, that's where Jesus begins the teaching. You were never supposed to do it in your own strength. Never called to do it in your own strength. In fact, Jesus was pretty blunt. You can't do anything without me. Some of you have given up because you found out you couldn't be perfect. Some of you, the other person I want to talk to is that person who has just never tried. You heard what Jesus said. You said, I can't do that. And you never even tried. You never let Jesus teach you. You gave up and walked away before the conversation could begin at all. Did you see what John said? I'm writing this so you won't sin. I'm writing this so you'll get it on how to live as a disciple of Christ. But if you do sin, you have an advocate. You have an advocate. The word there is paraclete. Is that word, that's the Greek word. Does that, does that ring a bell? When Jesus tells the disciples he's going to send the spirit, the word he uses is paraclete. Someone who walks alongside, para, parallel. Somebody who walks along, cleat for walk, para for alongside. Somebody who walks alongside of you. Who would explain the teachings of Jesus, who would give you the greater knowledge and the greater wisdom of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now, I have, I have banged my head all week trying to find a great theological illustration, and I can't. So I went to the gym, and, and that's where they illustrate. The best way I can talk to you about a paraclete is a workout buddy. Okay, have you ever had a workout buddy? One, a workout buddy understands you're fat and out of shape. That's where the conversation begins. I need to get in better shape. I need somebody to work out with. Will you meet me? Yes, I will meet you. The conversation is understood as saying, I'm out of shape. I need help. Will you meet me? Yes, I will walk with you. I understand that. A good, a good workout buddy will hold you accountable. If you don't show up, they'll call you and humiliate you in front of your friends. Okay, they understand that failure is part of it. Failure is part of it. Have you ever had a, a, a trainer make you work to failure? You ever had that? Okay, you, you lift a weight until you literally cannot lift it anymore. Uh, the, the problem, the thing I don't like about this is you always start it with a light weight. So you got 20, 25, you know, dumbbells in your hand, but you know, you jump in, I'm Superman, I do this all day, man. I did. Well, it, it adds up. And you get to the end of the exercise, man, and you're, you're, you're bracing, you're, you know, you're sweating, you're, you're, you're trying to get it up. That's when your other friend walks by, and you're lifting this little bitty weight, you can't get it up. And you want to yell at him, we're lifting to failure, we're lifting to failure. You know, you want him to understand that you're really stronger than this. But failure's part of it. Following Christ, you're going to always get to the end of yourself. 
Failure is part of it. A good workout buddy celebrates small victories. Hey, you did good. You ran to the telephone pole today. Yesterday, you didn't do that. We didn't get out of the driveway before you fell over. But today, you got all the way down to the telephone pole. That's great. But always holds a goal up. Reminds you where you're going, what you got to work for. One day, I was walking into the gym. And I overheard a conversation between a trainer and one of her trainees. This lady had obviously just started working out. And it was that second or third day of training where you hurt all over. You know, you stretch things God meant for you to leave alone. <laughs> you know, it's, this is just not right. And she's hurting. She showed up. Here's what I heard the trainer say. I want you to hear me tell you how proud I am of you. 95% of the people in the world said, I need to go to the gym. They rolled back over in bed or sat back down on the couch, but not you. You showed up. You came to the gym. The first habit we're trying to establish with you is getting up and going to the gym. You have won that. You did it. And if you don't do anything else but come to the gym and go home, we're going to count this day of victory. But since you're here, Let's do a lap. Do you understand you have an advocate? Who is delighted that you have chosen to be his disciple, that you have chosen to follow him? And yes, he knows there's a long way to go, but you know, since you're here, Have you ever had anybody pay for your dinner and you not know it? You ever had that happen? You get your card, you get the bill, and you walk up and you hand it to the cashier. And the cashier says, no, sir, uh, your meal's already been taken care of. Well, I, didn't, I didn't, no, no, somebody else has paid for you, told me to tell you to have a good day. Really? Yeah, your bill's paid. What's your first thought? I wish I'd ordered steak. <laughs> you do know. And in that moment, when you're telling Jesus everything that's wrong with you, all your failures, all your mistakes, all of your sins, all your addictions, you do know that he will whisper to you, your bill is already paid. Your bill is already paid. You have an advocate, the righteous one, 
who paid your bill and the bill of the whole world. Jesus hasn't given up. Neither should you. Let's pray together. Your head's bowed and your eyes closed. I just want you thinking about your own life this moment. Just focus on yourself. You do know the Father loves you, don't you? You do know that. If you haven't heard it from anybody else today, then I want you to hear it from us. We love you, and it matters to us what happens to you. You do know. Your bill is already paid. Stop trying to pay off a debt you don't owe. Now I know I've said a whole lot in just a handful of words, and I understand that this love of Christ sometimes is hard to get. This idea of forgiveness is hard to understand. That's why we'll have several friends standing up front who will pray with you and talk to you about who Jesus is and what he's done. They're waiting out in the Welcome Center. We've moved it to just right outside Hudson Hall here. Just walk out, turn right, you'll see them. More than anything, we want to tell you who Jesus is. More than anything, we want to tell you what he's done for us and what he can do for you. I beg you, don't leave this moment, don't leave this place with those questions unanswered. However, he's come to you. He's waiting for you where you are. The church will wait for you as you come. Lord Jesus, every life is now open before you, every heart. So we pray now the decisions we make will be exactly what you want.